Okay, man, let me send some love out to everybody at all of our campuses today. Man, we love you guys. We're so thankful you're here. And as we get started today, I want to do something that's going to be really awkward in one way and really awesome in another. I want to introduce to you the people who drove the farthest to get to church on all of our campuses today. Their name is Tomek and Stephanie Guzda. They drove all the way from Poland. They're right over here, y'all. Let's give them some love. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love these guys. And that's little Nina, right? The little beauty. And they got Samuel and Sarah that are back in our children's ministry right now. These two are going to spend a year with us here on our ministry. The last time we had, uh, you know, an international uh, couple come over here, they had a profound impact on the church. Uh, we're just praying they'll straighten Dave Stewart out while you're here, man. Thank you for coming. Let's welcome Tomek and Stephanie one more time to our family. We love you guys. Love you guys. All right. I also want to welcome everybody who's with us on our live stream today. Man, we're glad you're here as well. I had dinner uh, with uh, some leaders in our church last, last week, and I was asking them, what campus do you go to? And one of them said, we go to the online campus. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, they live a hike away from here, but they absolutely love our church. Man, they just love it. And so they're really grateful for that live stream, and I am too. Now, if you don't live that far away, what I hope our online service will do is be a first step toward connecting you at one of our campuses for a number of reasons, but let me just show you one. Uh, this is a picture a buddy of mine sent me while his family was watching our live stream on a Wednesday night. Uh, he sent me this picture and said, Kim, my daughter got sick this afternoon, and this was the next best thing. And he's right about that. It is the next best thing. Because they, he knows what I know. They've got two kids and watching my message on the live stream will not disciple those children a fraction as well as them being involved in Compassion Kids on one of our campuses. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. It is. Now listen, the live stream is more convenient. It just doesn't disciple your kids as well. And so thank God for that online service. Thank God for all the people who started there and are now making a move to get all in. And if that's you, man, you got here right on time. Last weekend... We started a new series of messages that we're calling Wonder. And the name of this uh, series has kind of got a double meaning to it. You know, I, I assume that many of us walk into church and we go, I wonder why we do that every week. Uh, wh why do we do that? Wh why do we do this? And then the other side is the wonder that you experience. Dude, when you throw your heart in the ring and God shows up because you do some of that stuff. Now, if you've ever thought, I wonder why they wonder why we sing so much. Why, why do we sing so much? Why do we pray so much? Why, 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 why? We're going to unpack that. I read a book last year by a Harvard psychiatrist who told about going to a gathering of women in Africa who were all suffering from PTSD because of some of the horrendous, violent, abusive things that had happened to them in their village. And he was amazed at that gathering, at what happened when those women started singing together. He did not know any of the songs, but he did know their body language changed and the stress indicators in them went down and the effect of their trauma seemed to be mitigated because they sang together. He didn't even know how to process this because he's not a believer, but these women were Christians and they were singing worship songs instead of obsessing on their horrible circumstances and they were being comforted by the Holy Spirit because they sang. 
And the peace of God was visibly and clinically healing them. And this psychiatrist had taken notes, not realizing that he is documenting for us the power of worship, which is one reason, as we learned last week, that when believers gather, they almost always humble themselves and sing together as the people of God. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, if you've ever thought, man, when we sang that song, or man, when he explained that passage, or man, when somebody prayed for me, something just happened in me. Dude, that's the wonder part. It's the outcome of engaging in worship that honors and exalts the Lord Jesus. And if that has never happened to you, stick around. Stick around. It very well may soon. Happened for a buddy of mine this week. I have a friend who's trying to sell his house in my neighborhood, and he's a brand new believer. But man, he's working hard to provide spiritual leadership for his family. I'm so proud of him. And so instead of worrying and stressing about selling this house, for the first time in his life, he's been praying about it and trying to leave this thing in the hands of God. And so 15 minutes after he prays about selling this house, an offer comes in, which he thought might be an answer to his prayer. But he's so new, he's like, ah, I don't know if it is or not. Yeah, I mean, how do you know for sure, right? And so he texts me, Cam, how do I figure out if this is God's answer to my prayer or what? I mean, I've been praying and it looks good, but there's got to be more to go on than that, right? I mean, it's got to be more than just timing. How do I know for sure? <laughs> and I said, well, number one, you don't ever know for sure, okay? Now, you don't get 100% for sure on, on a lot of things, but I shared with them the passage that I'm going to partially unpack for you today so that you will know why prayer makes such a powerful difference in the life of followers of Jesus. So turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, if it looks like Philippines, we're, we're glad you're here as a new believer. Thank you, <laughs> that'll, that'll work. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verse six. If you wanna grab one of our Bibles we provide on all of our worship centers, it's on page 982. Now friends, this passage will explain to you why every week teams of people have been praying for these services before they began and pray for these services all the way through and have been doing so for decades. It will explain why every week hundreds of compassion Christians are praying every day that God will bless our pastors and that our pastors will walk worthy of the calling that we have received and not betray that calling and bring shame on the gospel. This will explain why, after, why during every service we pray for you. We pray that the message will evoke a response and we pray for communion that will be more than just a meaningless ritual. And we pray as we leave that we will go out into this world as men and women of God to represent our Lord Jesus and make a difference. This passage will explain to you why every quarter on a Sunday night, every campus gathers together as a church. We gather together, the whole church to pray together. And man, when the whole church prays together, it is world changing. I was talking with a couple uh, last week about the growing racial diversity in our church. And how that is literally an answer to decades of prayers. I told them 10 years ago, we gathered every Wednesday night and prayed that God would make our church look more like heaven. With people from every nation, every ethnicity, every language group. And our God has answered that prayer. Friends, prayer is a power. And it is a wonder. And Paul, a man whose life was radically changed by prayer is going to teach us how to pray in this passage. 
Now here's what Paul wrote to the Philippian church, his buddies in Philippi, in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything. That's good advice, amen? amen? Don't waste any time or energy on worry. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and at the same time, thank him for what he's done in the past, and then, because you prayed instead of worrying, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Man, his peace will guard your heart and your mind, your thoughts, your feelings as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, what in the world is he talking about this peace that exceeds our understanding? Well, that's when you're at peace, even when you don't know how everything's going to work out. That's when you experience peace, even in the middle of a hurricane. That, when you, that's, that means you're experiencing peace even as you're recovering from some horrible trauma like those women in Africa, still at peace. That's that peace that comes from God, which is why it exceeds your understanding. You can't make an explanation for it. Man, if, if being stress-free and at peace is totally counter to your personality, then you're having the peace of God that comes only from God. It's a wonder and if you're thinking, you know what? Every time in the past, when I faced some big something, it was just stress, stress, worry, worry, anxiety, anxiety. But now, since I started following Jesus and praying, it's different. You know why? Because when you have a growing relationship with God, you learn to pray instead of panic. And God works through that. So I see my buddy Scott at breakfast on Tuesday and I ask him, how's it going, man? Great. So you got exactly what you wanted on the deal, right? Well, not exactly. <laughs> and if it goes through, it's going to go through so fast that we don't even have a place to live. And we don't know that it's even going to go through because it's still in process. But however it works out, I'm good with it. I'll put this in God's hand. I'm at peace. I was like, what'd you do with my buddy? Because that's new for him. <laughs> that's new for him. And listen, this doesn't mean that he unplugged his brain either. This is a smart guy. This is a detailed guy. But it does mean that instead of fretting like he's always done in the past, he is praying through this and he is enjoying the peace of God like he has never experienced in his life before. Now, friends, this passage is going to give us three reasons why we pray every time we come together for worship. And if you learn this, I promise you, you will occasionally experience seasons of wonder. And how God has used prayer to change your life. Now, here's why Paul says prayer is so life-changing for followers of Jesus. We pray so we don't worry about anything. Now, I know that sounds impossible, but this is part of the wonder of following Jesus. Dude, you walk with the Lord long enough, and you'll find you don't worry about anything that you're praying about. I say, you don't worry about anything that you're praying about. Amen? Amen. We pray so that we'll trust God with everything. Dude, if you prayed as much as you worry, you'd have a lot less to worry about, right? Because worry doesn't change a thing. Prayer does. And let me tell you, praying to God leads to trusting God. And thirdly, we give God thanks in all things because he helps us through all things. He says, in every challenging situation, give thanks. Friends, we can learn to be grateful, not for everything, but in everything. So let's unpack this and let's learn how to pray. All right, number one, we pray so we don't worry about anything. Let's say this all together. Y'all ready? Big boys, come on now, like lions. Here we go. We pray so we won't worry about anything. 
The Amplified Translation says, don't fret, don't fear, don't live with any anxiety. And friends, if that's true, that may be the single most difficult command in the Bible to keep. And let's be honest, every one of us has broken that command. Amen? Now the Greek word uh, that's translated worry in verse 6 means to be pulled in different directions. Man, we worry when our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us the other way. And I doubt there's a single one of us who doesn't know what it feels like to feel like you're being pulled apart by anxiety and worry. And let me tell you what the problem is with worry. John Ortberg wrote, worry robs you of joy. Man, you can't be joyful and worried at the same time. Worry makes me obsess about myself. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, the greatest among you, think about it this way. The ones among you who will live the greatest lives are going to be the people who serve others. So it is hard to live a great life if you're not going to serve because you're worried you won't get everything you deserve and you're going to miss something and you're going to miss out. So how's, how can you serve when you worry because it's all about you? Worry keeps me from taking risks and living with courage that enables me to stretch and grow. You know, last week at most of our campuses, we saw the stages just covered up with parents uh, up here on stage dedicating themselves to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it was beautiful. These parents are making a vow to do whatever it takes to disciple those kids. Man, look at all these babies. Aren't these babies precious, y'all? Everybody, let's go, ah, at the same time. Oh, they're awesome. You know what the problem is with these babies? They're going to grow up. And in about 14 years, if these parents do their job, some of those students are going to be asking if they can go on a foreign short-term mission trip with their church. And if their parents have been praying and growing spiritually, they're going to answer one way. And if their parents default to worry, <laughs> it's going to get ugly. And I mean, every year we have to counsel parents in our church who are worried to death about their student going on a retreat or going to church camp or going on one of these short-term trips. And you know why? It's because the parent has done a great job. They raised a kid who is courageous, has courageous faith and a daring spirit. And we all know if they go on that mission trip, it will be a spiritually defining moment in their life. But if you're a parent who is owned by worry, that worry might motivate you to shut all that down. Worry can erode your trust in God. Man, you can't worry and trust the Lord at the same time. So worry indicates a lack of faith, weak faith. And maybe most damaging of all, worry about what might happen in the future will keep you from living all in right now. I mean, in this moment. And listen, this is the moment we have an influence over, right? And I, I don't think Paul was talking about, now, y'all, don't sweat the small stuff. If you gain a few pounds, if you find a gray hair, if you got a wrinkle, if you don't have a date for homecoming, don't worry about that. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying, don't worry when you get laid off. Don't worry when you face bankruptcy. When the doctor says, I got bad news about that pregnancy. When your child rebels, your spouse leaves, the doctor says it's cancer. Your girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you. Don't worry in the worst of times. And friends, just in case you think Paul, the guy who wrote this, is some suburban pastor sitting in an air-conditioned office who's never suffered, let me remind you where he wrote this letter from. He was in a prison cell, incarcerated for his faith. He was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. You can Google it and see pictures of it today. I'm taking a crew of folks from our church over there next year. 
He was chained to four different Roman soldiers every day, waiting for his trial in front of an anti-Christian emperor, a hater named Nero. And right in the middle of all that, when everybody in Philippi is praying that his life will be saved, the church gets a letter from Paul and they open it up and in chapter four it says, don't worry about anything. I'm not worried about my circumstances. I'm not paralyzed by worry here in this jail cell. You should not be paralyzed by worry in your circumstances either. It is a waste of time. Now friends, that kind of confidence, that kind of strength, that's a wonder. Amen? Amen. And let me just also say, you know, there's a big difference between worry and appropriate concern. You know, legitimate concern motivates you to act. Worry paralyzes you. My buddy reached out to me last Saturday morning because he had a legitimate concern. That motivated him to pray, to study, to seek wise counsel, to seek clarity. It kept him from worrying. But if he had just devolved into worry, he might not have taken any action at all. Somebody says worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, just doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> right? So if you were to ask any mature believer why they worry, here's what they would tell you. I'm just not trusting the Lord on this. That's why I'm worried. I, I'm just not trusting the Lord on this issue. And if you probe a little bit, you find out they're not praying either. So when we feel anxiety building inside of us, Paul would say, time to pray. It's time to pray. When you feel that anxiety building up, it's time to pray. Now here's the second reason prayer is so important to us. <clears throat> we pray so we'll trust God with everything. Now this is the second part of that verse. Don't worry about anything. Instead, let's say this all together, y'all. Come on, big voice now. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Pray about everything. Man, there's nothing too small to pray about. There's nothing too big to pray about. Any concern that's worth worrying about is worth praying about. Amen? Amen. Now, Cam, you mean that I can pray about not having enough money to pay for my kids' braces? Yes, you can pray about that. Can my face is broken out. Can I pray about that? Yes, you can pray about that too. My back's out. You can pray about that too. Friends, there are no big requests or small requests in the mind of God. Paul says you can pray about anything. You should pray about everything. Now let's look at Philippians 4, 6, and let's just walk through this one line at a time, and I'm going to switch to the, new, the English Standard uh, Translation. Uh, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, friends, the first tactical step that Paul recommends to defeat worry is intentional, specific prayer. Apparently, the way to be anxious about nothing is to pray about everything. Now, you know, a study was done years ago on two groups of people who both prayed about their problems. One group was just told, go home and pray. Their problems actually got worse. By contrast, the other group was taught how to pray. And those folks who were taught how to pray actually got better. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's telling us how to pray, you know, in ways that will actually reduce our sense of weakness and fear and at the same time elevate our confidence in God and the outcome will be a massive reduction in worry and an influx of life-changing peace. Now, he mentions three different kinds of intercession in this verse. He talks about prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Prayer is just a general word for focusing on being in the presence of God. You are being in the presence of God. This is a discipline of having a time and a place where you regularly focus on being in the presence of God. You are in the presence of God. 
And when you have a regular time like that and a regular place like that, it trains your mind like a soldier, like an athlete, to turn your mind to God in the most frenzied moments of your life. Because God is always present in your life. But we don't always focus our mind like that. Consequently, we don't benefit from it. Now, my mother's favorite verse of scripture is Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And friends, what that prayer does is it reminds you when you're, when you're in the presence of God that you are the treasured child of the Most High God. That's who you are. Consequently, you have nothing to fear. Warren Wiersbe says, whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get alone with God. And if you don't know how to do that, we're going to fix that in a minute. But I'm telling you, settling into the presence of the Lord gives you spiritual confidence. And when you do it often, you just get stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, second kind of prayer, petitions, are when we make specific requests. Specific requests. Not Lord bless, but here's what I need specifically. Chuck Swindoll received a letter from a woman uh, who wanted to share an answer to prayer. Uh, she wanted to marry a godly man, and she was praying about that, but she's 31 years old before that ever happened. But she said she never really worried about it. She just simply prayed and trusted her future husband into God's hand. Uh, she said, I must confess, though, that every night I hung a pair of pants on the foot of my bed, and when I knelt down to pray, I would pray this prayer, Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. <laughs> and eventually God did. So raise the Lord, all right? So the following Sunday, you know, Chuck reads that crazy letter to his congregation and they laugh just like you did. And then a couple weeks later, he gets a letter of concern from a mom whose husband and son were in that service, but she missed it because she was sick. She says, dear Chuck, I'm wondering if I need to be worried about my son. For the last two weeks, I've noticed that before he goes to bed, he hangs a bikini over the foot of his bed. Should I be concerned about this? Chuck said, no, don't worry about him. He's just bringing his petitions before the Lord, all right? <laughs> now, I've heard people say sometimes, Cam, I just don't believe in asking God for anything for myself. Dude, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Prayer is the most powerful, life-changing force, gift that the Lord God has made available to us. And if you're not praying for yourself and other people, you ain't doing it right. I don't think most of us pray too much. Man, our problem is we pray too little. And maybe it's because nobody ever taught us how to pray. You know, Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. They watched him in prayer and he had this amazing relationship with the Father that enabled him to face the most horrendous circumstances with no worry at all. And they thought, Lord, you got to teach us how to do that. The disciples asked him, teach us to pray. And he gave them the Lord's Prayer. Now, does anybody know the Lord's Prayer? Anybody know it? All right, Ron, you mind standing up and saying, no, I'm just kidding about that. I know you would do it. Can you do it in Greek? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, many, many, many of us have memorized the Lord's Prayer and said it hundreds of times. Amen? Amen. What percentage of the times you have said the Lord's Prayer, did you actually pray it? Now, think about that. Because a lot of us have mumbled through the Lord's Prayer without praying it. Jesus gave us that prayer to teach us how to pray. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to teach you another way to pray. Now, this is a simple memory device, and hopefully it'll help you pray more often about more important things. Fix your hands.
just like this. You've seen this, uh, this uh, uh, you know, people hold their hands in prayer like this and all the old pictures and that. Just fix your hands just like this for a second. And I want to encourage you, I'm going to encourage you to let every finger represent an important prayer target. Now, if you've ever said, Cam, I just don't know what I've talked God about, that's all getting ready to change. All right, now hold your hand just like this. And let me ask you, what, what is the closest to your heart right now? This is your thumb, right? And if not, you should join the circus because you could have a great <laughs> But all right, all right, now just remember what's closest to your heart right now. And then grab your pen, wherever you're taking notes, uh, but put your hand on a piece of paper and draw, you know, the, the Thanksgiving turkey around it like the kids do sometime. Uh, and I'm going to teach you how to pray, all right? The thumb is what's closest to my heart, and that represents the people who are closest to my heart, which is my family and my friends. And so I want to encourage you when you pray to start right there, pray for your family and your friends and ask God to bless them by name. Just your family and your friends by name. Now, now don't, I'm not talking about doing this for 30 minutes. 30 seconds. 30 seconds, my family and friends. All right, now the next is the index finger. And the index finger is how we point direction. This is how we give direction. We point the way. Dude, the index finger represents the people who have pointed the way for me. These are my teachers, my leaders. These are the people that God has put in my life to give me direction. Sometimes correction. Sometimes that finger points away. Sometimes that finger that says no way, right? And so at this point, you've already invested 30 seconds praying for your family and friends. I want to encourage you to invest the next 30 seconds praying for your teacher. If you're in school, your teachers, your pastor, your supervisor, the guy you work for, the guy you work for, your small group leader, the people that God has put in your life to give you wisdom and direction. Thank God for them. Ask God to help them. You probably know some ways that God could help them. All right, the third finger is the tallest finger you have. The tallest finger represents the people who stand out in society. Pray for the influencers who affect your life. Now, friends, all through the New Testament, we are commanded to pray for the people who have authority in our nation because we want them to use that influence for good and not evil, which is why all of us pray for our government leaders. Amen. I hope you do, because I tell you, most of the people in our country don't pray for the leaders. Most of the people in our country just cuss them, criticize them, complain about them. And if you don't believe that, just turn on any talk radio show, any channel of any background, and you will hear that kind of maniacal complaining, criticizing, all that. And many of those folks calling in are believers who have been commanded to pray for their leaders, which does not mean we can't criticize them, but I wouldn't criticize them if I wasn't praying for them. You heard in the news this week that Hosma bin Laden, the son of Osama bin Laden, was killed in an anti-terrorist action. Friends, that young man had a lot of influence, just like his dad, and apparently he was not using it for good. But you know what his death reminded me of? I used to pray for his daddy. I used to pray for Osama bin Laden to be saved. Can you imagine the difference it would have made in the world if Osama bin Laden had become a Christian? If he had become a follower of Jesus? I have a friend who shared the gospel with Yasser Arafat. You ever heard that name before? Yasser Arafat was the founder of the PLO, a terrorist organization. My buddy told me when he shared the gospel with Arafat, he wept, wept 
He said, Cam, don't be surprised if you see Arafat in heaven. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I try not to be surprised. But can you imagine the difference it would have made if those two men had become followers of Jesus and started loving their enemies instead of terrorizing them? Now, let's broaden the scope a little bit. Think of the athletes in our country, movie stars, musicians, artists, politicians, leaders in the marketplace who could have a profound positive impact on culture if they were followers of Jesus. Think about the presidents of the major corporations in our community, the hospitals, SCAD, Georgia Southern, Savannah State. Thank God the mayor of the city of Savannah is a follower of Jesus. Thank God. Friends, the Bible commands us to pray for our government leaders because they, if they act in righteous ways, we will have a better life. This is why I have prayed that righteous leaders would be chosen as close advisors for President Trump and President Obama and President Bush and President Clinton and all the way back. Because if those men are influenced by wise counselors to make righteous choices, Life will be better for all of us. And dude, you can curse the darkness or you can light a candle. And when you pray, you're lighting a candle. And as followers of Jesus, we can do a lot to influence our culture. But one thing we can all do is pray for the people who have an influence on us. I watched a music video this week of a young hip hop artist who made a pro-life music video to thank his mother for not aborting him as she had been counseled to do by everybody in her family. And that video has played millions of times and people in Hollywood are castigating this young man because he has taken a pro-life position. I'm praying that it will embolden him and that he will use his influence and music to honor the Lord. Okay. 30 seconds a day for the influencers that you've been cussing. I mean, concerned about. All right. <clears throat> okay. Fourth finger. What's the weakest finger on your hand? It's the, four, it's the fourth finger, right? It's the, it's the ring finger. Let this represent the weakest people around us. The weakest people you know. Imagine what would happen if 10 thousand compassion Christians began to pray every day, just 30 seconds, that there would be a home for every unplaced foster child in our region, that there would be food for every hungry child in our region, clean water for every deprived child in Africa, loving care for every, depra every deprived child, loving care for every disabled person, every elderly person, every sick person, every mentally ill person, every hospitalized person. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Jesus said in Matthew 25, when we do any kindness for any of the least of these, even praying for them, it's as if we did it for him. When my Sarah got cancer years ago, people would write us, call us, email us and say, we're praying for Sarah. It meant the world to us. And man, it helped. She got well. 30 seconds for the weakest people you know. All right, thumb, people closest to your heart, family and friends, index finger, you know, people who teach and lead you, middle finger, people who have influence in our community, ring finger, people who struggle with, uh, with weakness, the little finger, that's me. That's me. I'm gonna pray for myself last after I pray for everybody else. Now, friend, would that change the way you pray and think 
and live and love if you were to put others before yourself in two minutes of prayer a day? Would that set a new tone for the way you interact with your family and your friends if you put others ahead of you for two minutes a day? Read Philippians chapter 2. Paul said that was the attitude of Jesus. Now, it's okay to pray for yourself. I mean, I got a long list of, of my own needs that I pray for with great faith and great expectation every day. But friends, the wonder of praying like this is that I don't start with myself. I, I, I pray the price for becoming like Jesus by starting to think of everybody else. Now, if you're not in the habit of praying for two and a half minutes every day, if you say, Cam, I've never prayed for two and a half minutes without my mind wandering, this will help. And if you're thinking right now, Cam, you don't know how busy I am. Okay, put both hands on the steering wheel as you drive it into work and just look at the fingers and just pray that way while they're on the steering wheel. Now, friends, when you get back to this little finger, what if you were to roll back through this cycle and start praying for you? Pray for your own heart. The thumb, pray for your own heart. You know, the Bible says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Uh, your index finger, pray for the people who will be taught and led by you today because you're going to influence people. Your example is going to make a difference. Middle finger, pray for the influence you have and how you will leverage it today. Lord, what do you want me to do? What order? What's the priority? Who do you want me to help today? Ring finger, pray for the weakness you see in your own soul. Confess any repetitive sin in your heart. Pray for strength against the temptation that you fight every day. Little finger, pray for whatever you need. Whatever you need. Listen, ask, seek, knock. That's what Jesus said. And then watch what happens next. Dude, I'm telling you, when you pray, you ought to pray and then look up and see what happens next. Because God will respond to your prayers. Now, now the more we pray, the more we will learn to trust God in everything. And when you see your prayers being answered, then you're going to start building a track record. And you're going to have stories to tell about prayers you prayed that were answered and how God showed up in your life. And so, man, we give thanks in all things because God helps us through all things. Man, when you thank God for answering prayers in the past, it gives you confidence to trust God in the present and then live worry-free about the future. And then, Paul says, that peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards your heart and your mind like a castle in Christ Jesus. Dude, can't you see the Apostle Paul sitting in the bottom of that jail cell in Rome, looking over at one of those Roman guards who are trying to intimidate him, and put his head back against the wall and smile and just think about all the times that God has shown up in his life. All the times that God has gotten him out of a jam. All the times that God provided him power he did not have. And maybe Paul looked over that Roman soldier and thought, bro, the peace of God is guarding my heart from any fear of you. In fact, I don't think I'm chained to you. I think you chained to me. And if God helps me, I'm going to lead you to a life-changing relationship with Jesus right here in this stinking prison cell. And he did. In fact, when he closes this letter to the Philippians, he says, all the saints here in Rome greet you, especially those, say with me, everybody, of Caesar's household. What? People who work in for Nero getting saved because of the influence of a man in prison? prison? 
Yeah. When anybody else might have been paralyzed by worry because of his prayers, Paul is leading people to Jesus who work for the guy who will eventually execute him. Now, where do you think Paul learned to pray like that? <laughs> I mean, he's a hater when he came to know when, when he first met Jesus. Who taught him to face danger with prayer instead of hate or fear or worry? Ironically, Harrison reminded me last week that Paul learned to pray like this from a guy that he killed. A guy that he murdered back in the bad old days. You know who I'm talking about, right? The stories in Acts chapter 6 and 7 is about the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Ironically, this is also the first time we hear about Paul is when he is an accessory to the crime of killing Saint Stephen. He was called Saul back in the day before he was a believer. But back, back then he was a Jewish extremist and he participated in Stephen's martyrdom. And so Stephen is arrested. And you can read this story on your own in Acts 6 and 7. You ought to read it. It's awesome. Stephen was arrested and put on trial for his faith in Jesus. Read that story. Dude, that's an amazing story. That's a man's story. Because I'm telling you, Stephen was many things. <laughs> but he was not a wimp. He was not a spiritual wimp. They put him on trial. His life is in danger. And everybody knew it. I mean, the Pharisees, Paul's old crew, they're just looking for a justification for executing that man. And then Stephen does his testimony. And he comes to that moment in his testimony where if he just shuts up, he'll probably get out of this jam alive. But of course, nobody there will get saved if he shuts up. So he gets all in. And he says everything that needs to be said to those haters about Jesus. And when he does, that mob of extremists go crazy. Paul was one of them. They go nuts. They grab Stephen, drag him out of town to stone him to death. Now, if you're a panicker, this is when you panic. And if you're a runner, this is when you run. But Stephen was a prayer. And this is when he prayed the first of three life-changing prayers. And Paul was a witness of this. Paul witnessed this. In Acts 7.56, Stephen said, look, man, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Everybody's panicking, worrying, running. He's looking. He's looking to Jesus. And what does he see? You know, he has this extraordinary experience. He sees into eternity. And he sees the Lord Jesus stand up. You know, most of the time when we read about Jesus by the, by the throne of God, he is seated at the right hand of God. It's indicative of his authority. But when Stephen looks up in this moment, he sees Jesus stand up. Why? He wants to comfort his man. Encourage his man. Welcome him. You'll be home in a minute, Stephen. We're waiting for you. You'll be welcomed here. And when he says that, it just enrages the extremists, and so they attack. How does Stephen respond? He prays again. Verse 59 says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. What? 
Why did he pray that? That is exactly what the Lord Jesus prayed when he was on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus taught Stephen by example how to pray when it's hard. And just before he died, Paul heard him. Heard him pray his last prayer. In verse 60, he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, <laughs> don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's what Jesus prayed on the cross as well, right? Jesus taught Stephen how to pray by example in the worst moments. In the worst moment to pray for others, think of others, live to influence others. Friends, Jesus taught Stephen to pray. So at the worst moment in his life, he prayed instead of panicking. And the peace of God guarded his heart and mind all the way to heaven. And Paul, an accessory to this murder, watched this and was changed. He never seen courage like this before. Stephen's courage and peace rocked his world. And two chapters later, the hater becomes a follower of Jesus. And 25 years later, sitting in that Roman prison cell, Paul is still praying the way he learned to pray from Stephen, who learned to pray from Jesus. And today, all three are teaching you. All three are teaching you. Jesus taught Stephen to pray. Stephen taught Paul to pray. Paul is teaching you. Learn this. Learn this. Learn to pray in gratitude and power and peace and wonder will follow. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we've had to <clears throat> dig into this passage of Scripture and and let you teach us how to have a conversation with you. Father, you came here in the body of Jesus. You taught Stephen how to live a life that was so close to you that in the worst moment he had trained himself not to panic, not to run, not to worry, but to pray in the worst of times. And it stabilized him. It was like a garrison around his heart and his mind. And then Stephen taught Paul, and now Paul's teaching us. And I pray that tomorrow, hundreds and hundreds of compassion Christians will spend two and a half minutes in prayer if they've never prayed before. And Lord, those of us who love to pray will pray with greater specificity and greater focus than ever before. And we will see our world change because we pray. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.